Hello and welcome to Wilson and Winters Libertadores podcast, one of the very, very few podcasts in English entirely dedicated to the greatest competition in South America, the Copa Libertadores. And this week on the pod, I was in beautiful, sunny Buenos Aires, where spring is just creeping towards summer. And Mr. Oliver Wilson was in rainy southeast England. Yeah, cheers, Dave. Thanks for that. Thanks for just rubbing that one in a little bit. Well, uh, late nights watching the football and, and crap weather. So it's an excuse to stay inside and, and I guess have a little chat with you about it all. We were reflecting back in this podcast, Ollie, on the semi-finals between Boca Juniors and River Plate, the second leg of their semi-final, where River went through 2-1 on aggregate, Boca won on the night. And River set up a final with Flamengo, who annihilated Gremio 5-0 in their second leg at the Maracanã. It was two semi-finals that pretty much lived up to expectation, which was absolutely fantastic. And this week we were joined by Joel Richards, Ollie. I believe he sent uh, a WhatsApp voicemail note. Uh, We do have Joel's input, yeah, thankfully. Um, He'll be a very happy man as well. I'm quite interested to hear exactly what he said, but he's going to be delighted and delirious. Despite all of the trials and tribulations that his busy work life has to offer him, he'll be smiling, I think, until November the 23rd and then might be a, a change of the tune for the for the River Plate fan. Joel, one of those River quote-unquote sympathisers, which you, you you tend to find around this city, Ollie. They, they don't want to say they're quite River fans, but um, yeah, it's, it's thinly veiled. Well, we're all meant to be extremely neutral in this industry as well, David. So, you know, we've got we to gotta stay down the middle as much as we can. But if you're going to find somebody that's going to wax lyrical about Gashardo... Joel Richards is probably the man. Although you're doing a pretty good job I'm as well at close this point. Now. Yeah. <laughs> you're getting yeah. pretty I think you're more impressed by the dress sense than anything else, on the big nights at least. Oh, he looked great. He looked great <laughs> in the suit on Tuesday, he really did. All right, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the podcast. <laughs> So all that nice, minty, fresh feeling I had from my trip to the dentist has turned into a wet cat in an alley. And I finally got home. (laughs) And now I get to at least sit and enjoy uh, hearing your voice and telling me how wonderful the weather is in Buenos Aires. Yeah, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. Blue skies and sunshine. Actually, out the back of the apartment block I'm in, there's... I don't know whether I said this, Julie, but they're they're trying to build a pool, but... They're not trying to build a pool. One man is trying to build a pool or kind of reconstruct the <laughs> pool area. So for three weeks, I've watched him and he, he doesn't get here at 8 a.m., I'll tell you that. He sort of wanders about <laughs> at 10.30, potters around, chips away at some wood and leaves at four. And it's been that case for the past uh, past three weeks. But he's getting there. Slowly and surely, this apartment block will have uh, a little uh, little ocean of water out the back of it. You've got to admire uh, the cool hard graft doing it solo as well. I mean, that's a, that's a tough job to psych yourself up for, to build a pool on your own for an apartment block I presume that he might not be staying in? I, I would suggest so. Uh, yeah, it's good dedication. And I, no doubt in 2037 it will be uh, it will be good to go. 
Maybe that'll be about the time that the Copa Libertadores final is ready to be played in Santiago after everything, or is that yeah. a little too close to the bone at this point? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I think uh, it's still a month away, so hopefully, fingers crossed, things settle down in Santiago, Chile, and the final will will go ahead there. Yeah. Well, As for the, at least we know who's playing in it now. Yes, we do, and it, it's the two teams that you that you wanted to play as a, as a complete neutral from a pure footballing perspective. It's the two sides that you wanted to play in it. And it is River Plate against Flamengo in the final in Santiago. Uh, Oli, the second leg at La Bombonera. Prior to it, we spoke about River being a total control and what were Boca going to do. And it was an adventurous, by Alfaro standards, lineup. I, I just want to touch actually on there was a lot of talk about the Boca team was going to be something different. Was he going to take a gamble? There was so many rumours here. And I actually heard um, Golasso talking about it. Two days or about 24 hours before the game that Carlos Tevez was picking the team. I don't know whether you read, whether you read this. I'm not seeing that Tevez was picking the team. I heard there was yeah. influence, like a Messi-style sure. at Barcelona sort of influence. Something like that. So, uh, obviously, Carlos Tevez, uh, a boyhood Boca fan... And he's obviously got quite a lot of influence around the club. He wouldn't really be in the Boca first choice 11. But if you're picking the team, you're going to put yourself in it. And Carlos Tevez did start Boca 1 on the night. A goal from Jan Hurtado, the young Venezuelan, uh, with 10 minutes to play. And there was a moment where you thought maybe Boca could get the second to level things up on aggregate to make it to a piece. But it wasn't to be. And River Plate and Marcelo Gallardo go through to another Libertadores final. Lejos del área defiende el conjunto de Gallardo. La pelota que viene en medio, mamá, queda rebotada ahí, le pegó gol, salve gol. Ahí, mano, en lo que están sancionando, el árbitro marca una mano. Y vamos a ver qué es lo que sucede. Se mueve izquierdo, se mete Almendra, cabezazo de López y al córner. Le envía Armani después de la pifia de Enzo Pérez. Era casi gol en contra, pero Armani con reflejos felinos evitó la caída de su marco. Le va a pegar esa pelota Alexis. La cuelga el segundo palo, ahí va izquierdo, se está alertado. que vuela el árbitro que se sonara el silbato ganó Boca pero River River es finalista de la Copa Libertadores de América Yeah, just about I mean, that is kind of the story isn't it? But there are a few other little bits and bobs that we should dive into of this second leg in that you certainly feel, or I certainly feel that River did just about get away with one and actually if Boca perhaps had a manager that wasn't such a pragmatic defensive style of manager and had perhaps played a couple of different players from the get-go. Could have been a very different night on a night that River, for large parts of it, felt under pressure, particularly in a pretty wild first half. And it was by far the worst performance that we've seen from this River team in the Libertadores this year, and it came at almost the worst possible moment as well. Actually, Windsor, before you answer that, this is what uh, I asked Joel Richards, actually, friend of the show, obviously, and uh, one of our colleagues working on the Libertadores. I asked him if he thought River got away with one, and we know he's a bit of a River sympathiser. He's a happy man, of course. This is what he had to say about the performance. 
Hi guys, yeah, definitely River rode their luck, didn't they, against Boca uh, to get through to the final of the Libertadores. They were up against it, they had to defend all night, they played a very different game to the one they hoped to play and usually play. They had to play long balls, looking to release Suarez or Borre and hope that they could create something against the last defender. Uh, but beyond that, we saw a side that was last-ditch defending under immense pressure and especially from set pieces. And this is something that's been talked about an awful lot since that game. River committed 25 fouls. That's more than in any other match in the Libertadores. Obviously, the stakes were higher and obviously playing at the Bombonera requires a certain style of football, if you like, when the home side is looking to attack. Of course, you're liable to, to, to give away more fouls, but River Plate and supporters in particular have been picking up on this and so too the local media in Argentina, which is that if, when you look through each and, each and every one of those fouls, you could argue that between, let's say, 11 and maybe 14 of those fouls should not have been given. Uh, Fox Sports, for example, made it 13. So for argument's sake, let's stick with that. And just for the point of, of debate and, and, and what have you on the, on the podcast is just imagine if we translate this, this situation to Europe. Imagine Champions League semi-final between, let's say, Manchester City and Liverpool. And imagine that Man City can see 25 free kicks and of those 25 free kicks, 13 should not have been awarded. You can imagine what the uproar would have been after that. So, uh, so that's one thing that, that's come from this match. But of course, River did make it through. They managed just to, to hold on. And it does ratify last year's win against Boca uh, in the final, which of course was so controversial. But by backing that up, you just feel that River have, uh, have, have put to bed any, any debate about which is the, the better side right now. Boca were the better side in the 2000s, and of course they not only won Libertadores, they won the Intercontinental Trophy as well. Uh, but right now, this, it's River Plate's moment, and there's no real debate about that. And of course, most of this is down to Marcelo Gachardo. He, he has a great squad, he managed to hold on to a lot of the players from, from last year. But if you look back to the, the first uh, time that River Plate won the Libertadores with Gachardo, the Sudamericana, it's a very different side. So... Gachardo's record against Boca is, is second to none and, and it's an astonishing record that he has. Five times he's now defeated Boca in, in knockout stages, whether it's the Libertadores, the Argentina Cup or the Copa Sudamericana. So a phenomenal achievement in itself for Marcelo Gachardo. And of course there's so much talk now about what happens to him. He's been linked with Barcelona. No one really knows what's going to happen, but the bottom line is uh, that they've reached another Copa Libertadores final, what is it, the third in five years, a remarkable achievement, and it's also set up a mouth-watering final against Flamingo. Well, that's Joel's thoughts. As I say, Windsor, it was the worst time to have their worst performance of the whole Libertadores for River Plate. Yeah, they didn't play well. I'm not sure I can agree with the phrase they got away with one because I never felt at any point, even when Boca scored, of course, it was 60 seconds after the goal where La Bombonera was just absolutely bouncing and there was a, a momentary uh, feeling of belief. But I don't ever think that River were in trouble. And also, I do think it's really difficult to play against the side. Boca under Gustavo Alfaro, we know they're a defensive coach, but any set piece they had inside River's half, 
they were just punting into the penalty area. And that, for me, is a neutral. And, you know, when you follow European football and you're an Englishman, Boca Juniors at this mythical Argentine football club. And for me, it was actually almost a little bit sad watching Boca Juniors, the, the famous Boca Juniors, resorting to set pieces against their, their arch rivals. Um, and it didn't come off ultimately and, and River go through. Listen, it wasn't a great performance by River. I, I don't think it was going to be very difficult playing against Boca's style to produce something special. And my God, have they got a, a, a different level of challenger on their hands when they face Flamengo in the final. Yeah, we uh, we can leave the waxing lyrical about Flamengo, I think, for five to ten minutes. But yeah, definitely it's going to be a completely different test for them. In terms of, because we spoke on the preview show about Alfaro, does he go for it? Does he stick to his guns and go for what he knows? From the starting eleven, and you and I were chatting when the teams were released, it's a wonderful world that we live in, by the way, that you can be in South America, I can be in Europe, and when the team news comes out, we can have a direct conversation about what we think about yeah. the style and how it's going to play. I mean, both you and I were saying, is it going to be a 4-4-2? Is it going to be a 4-4-2 diamond? Is it going to be a 4-2-3-1? And it was difficult to kind of work out at times. It seemed like it was a 4-4-2 with Tevez alongside Abila as a front two. <laughs> Yeah, it was. I mean, Tevez, the, the less he was involved in the game, the more inclined he was to drop deeper and deeper. First kind of 10, 15 minutes, he was starting pretty tight up to Abila, and then he just wasn't getting involved. So he's dropping deeper into what looked eventually like a five-man midfield. But it was, you know, Carlos Tevez started. Ramon Abila started, who I don't think was fit, by the way. Salvio, equally, I don't think he was fit, started. And McAllister. So at least there, you had four players who are, you know, got the capacity to score and create. But, I mean, for me, the absence of Zarate, and I don't know how fit he was, but I spoke about on the preview show about how I felt he was key and, and he didn't start the game, and that, to me, was really disappointing. Well, he got, he got half an hour in the end off the bench, but I completely agree with you on that. In a game when you're, when you're down two goals going into a second leg on your home soil, you have to be aggressive. We said that was probably the only way, or I certainly said, I think, that was the only way that it, I could see Alfaro was going to get a result out of it, was being aggressive and... and kind of losing what he knew and going for something that he perhaps didn't, being adventurous. And then when you see a team sheet come out and the 4-4-2 that we were getting initially from Opta was saying that Alexis McAllister was going to be on the left, which isn't his natural position. You need to have someone like him as an attacking playmaker in the heart of the pitch. Then you've got Salvio on the right, which is fine. But Zarate can provide a bit of width to a side as well as you know be a wonderful attacking player going forward to support a front man. Not having him in the starting eleven showed a real negativity still, particularly when you've got two players in the middle of the park like Marcone and, uh, and, and Almendra, who are both naturally quite defensive midfielders. Mm. So you've still got two sitting deep in front of a back four, which you can't really afford to do when you really need to take the game by the scruff of the neck and force River to play. On the opposite side of that, I was very surprised for large parts of the first half in particular how much of a gap that River allowed themselves to have between their defensive line and their midfield line. And it did seem like there were fairly large chunks of space that the likes of Abila were allowed to operate in and, and, and allow the play to build up from there and then move in towards the River play 18-yard box. And, and that seemed slightly, almost naive, definitely foolish from Gachado's side that had a tie pretty much wrapped up before they went into that second leg and, and gave Bocker a handful of chances to, to cause a bit of havoc. But I did think it was still negative from Alfaro. He still didn't want to really let the chains off and let this Bocker side loose. 
No, and no, he didn't. He's an offensive coach, and I think he he just struggled so much. I think to take the handbrake off and Zarate not playing was a big disappointment. As for River, listen, I don't think individually, apart from Pinola, I don't think anyone individually played well. And so you put that together collectively, and it really wasn't impressive. Borre and Suarez really struggled to keep the to hold the ball up, and and River didn't play well. There was no fluency at all from River, but. Um, I mean, how about the celebrations at the end as well, Ollie, from, from River and Gachado? I mean, he's done it again against Boca. He's into another Libertadores final. We saw that incredible relief and happiness where he comes down the tunnel at the end and he's just screaming, C, C, C. Um, you know, he's not Boca again out of the Libertadores and he's in another final. He's, uh, yeah, unbelievable achievement. Yeah, this is, uh, this is Gachado walking down the steps and uh, and into the dressing room and, and if you haven't heard it for a, for a manager that stays so cool that mm. is kind of surprising to hear that sort of release as well because I mean he knows exactly what it means just to this club and, and to himself as well uh, and there was the uh, there was I mean the thing that's kind of gone viral almost in uh, in Argentina of uh, of Armani holding up the the hand with the five. Of, yeah, this is yeah. the fifth time that we've knocked Bocker out of a competition. I'm still not sure that he's actually putting a hand up as a five, as in like sure. five times. I kind of think it's a, just a well-timed photo more than anything else. But it is the fifth time that Gashado has knocked Bocker out of a of a major cup competition. He's he's got it. Yeah, and, and he's got yeah you're right. Yeah, it, it's hard to say over. Maybe not. You don't look at the second leg, but you look at the the balance of history. That in big moments he has got it as a manager, and if he, even if he doesn't win it, it is time now for for Gachado to take the next leap and and dip a toe into European soils, as we've mentioned before. I think his celebrations at the end. It's exactly as you say, Ollie. If he doesn't win it, and they might not win the final against Flamengo, but. The fact that he's reached the third Libertadores final in five years. Gachado has, has proven everything he could possibly prove on this continent, in Argentina, against Boca. And it is time now, and I'm sure he obviously knows it, it's time for him to take that next step towards European football. If he, if he can crown that off with, uh, with beating Flamengo in the final, I think it would be his, his ultimate achievement. Um, yeah, incredible relief. And for, for Boca... After what happened in Madrid last year, to see those River players and coaching staff and managers celebrate in the centre circle at La Bombonera, it must have stung. And I can't help but feel now, and the quotes coming out of uh, Boca and the quotes from Afara actually recently, in the last day or two, just suggest that this is the end of it. It has to be the end of a cycle for Boca. They, they cannot, they're being so, you know, River are the better side. And to do it on there. At La Bombonera, I thought was just so, it resonated so much. And I think for Boca now, they, they need a change of direction. They need a whole host of new players. They got rid of, or they had to, to sell the likes of Nandez and Benedetto. They haven't replaced that quality. And, and, and there's got to be big changes for Boca in 2020. Do you think if you were to take particularly those two names you've just mentioned, it's a completely different two-legged affair? Because Boca do have... different, yeah. They're... Yeah, I do. I, I think Benedetto and, and Nandez... Uh, that, you know, that's, I'm not a massive Benedetto fan, but my God, he's he's better than some of the stuff they've got, and I do think it's different. That, but Hernandez, you know, obviously a player I really like, and I think they missed his energy in the centre of the park. Uh, but El Muñeco, the doll, Marcelo Gachado, does it again. Do you think it's fate as well? This was something that cropped up the uh, the Argentinian press talking about. It's fate for River, because 
when River scored their winner in uh, the third goal in, in Madrid last year, when Martinez broke through, tucked it into an empty net, going the full length of the pitch on the counter-attack as Boca just threw everything yep. at River. The advertising hoardings around the uh, Santiago Bernabeu said, see you in Santiago 2019 as he rolled the ball into the back of the net. And it was that perfect moment to tee up this year's final yeah, because the yeah, screenshot yeah. will be from that overhead camera of see you in Santiago 2019 with Martinez rolling in the winner in the Libertadores final from last year. I mean, there are things in football that just crop up and that is the perfect shot that basically epitomizes the rivalry of Boca and River from the last two years of how Boca have been outclassed on the biggest stage by River twice now. And I don't think Gachada would have stayed if he didn't believe after Madrid that he could take River to another final. If he didn't really believe he could take River to another Libertadores final, I don't think he stays. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it's uh, it's written in the stars, but it's also just written, I think, in the belief of Gachada that in this group of players that he could squeeze another year out of them and another run to the final. One of the best uh, refereeing... Got to... Oh, go on, mate. Yeah, no, I was just about, just before we talk about the referee, who, by the way, Gashado at the end of the game was on the pitch. Despite having qualified for the final, he was in the referee's face. He was livid with the referee's uh, performance on the night. Uh, but ju- I just got to talk about the ticker tape as well prior to kickoff. We're too young, Ollie, to remember the World Cup in, was it 78? Which has all those kind of iconic images of the ticker tape falling on the pitch. And uh, the. At La Bombonera, just prior to kickoff, everyone had this white ticker tape and they launched it into the air. And it was a really windy night as well in Buenos Aires. There was so much ticker tape on the pitch that the game was delayed by 14 minutes. And we had this fantastic comical moment where you got about 10 men with leaf blowers on the pitch none of whom were coordinated and they were they were trying to blow the ticker tape off the pitch and the wind was blowing it back on and yeah it took 14 minutes for the game to kick off but as super classicos go it was a pretty pleasant delay rather than something more sinister well only in argentina would you get a match delay of 14 minutes due to paper and celebration before the kickoff which it, it just it almost exemplifies how good it is to watch one of these games just from the aesthetic point of view, even pre-kickoff. I mean, 10,000 people outside the Monumental to watch the bus leave to yeah. drive a few miles down the road to another part of the city. 10,000 with flares and fireworks going off as River Plate left their home stadium and went down to the Bombonera. Um, and it's not like you get a good view, is it? Like, if you're watching, I mean, you've seen plenty of team buses arrive. So you don't get a great, you know, the bus just goes past. It's a blacked out bus. Yeah. <laughs> You don't see anything, yeah, but well, incredible. And especially if you're eight rows back on a pavement somewhere, stuck <laughs> yeah. between a wall and a couple of big guys or something, it's like you're on tiptoes and maybe, maybe you'll see the top of the bus, but you won't see a player. It is it is fantastic. I love the preamble, the build-up, all the stuff that we saw on social media coming out of it as well. I did want to say, I know Gachado's unhappy with the refereeing, but one of the best refereeing decisions in terms of no messing about, nothing like that, the Salvio goal that was disallowed, ruled out for handball, correct use of the new rules, especially with the ball touching uh, Emmanuel Massi's arm before it dropped to Salvio and he tucked it into the back of the net and the goal was ruled out in the first half for Boca. A huge moment to make, a huge call to make as well. But the uh, the Brazilian referee, Mr. Sampaio, quick to just not even use VAR and just be confident yep. to know that it touched the arm. That's what I like to see. A referee that knows what he's seen and isn't going to wait, isn't going to delay, no faffing about. We've already had 14 minutes. Nah, done and dusted, decision made, yep. let's move on. 
I mean, how many, I would say 99% of referees in that position, they let the ball go in, they just hold, they hold their, they don't blow the whistle, they let the ball go in and they just check with the VAR. But as you say, he was so confident and he was correct that the ball had struck the arm uh, that he could blow the whistle. Yeah, it was impressive. There was also a moment that Boca won't, they were a bit unhappy with, that was very early on, Pinola kind of threw, uh, threw an elbow, which on another day could have been a penalty, but it wasn't. And um, yep, the rest as they say. River through to the final. And as you said at the beginning, Dave, we get the best pop- possible final, I think, because we're going to have the best team in South America. And I, I, it's taken me a long time to come around to it. And I think that's only because Flamengo have taken a long time to come around to this sort of quality in this competition because they have just got better and better and better since the group stage. It's a different side that we're seeing play as the knockout stages have continued to grow and Flamengo have grown with the level of competition and, and Jorge Jesus has got better and better as a manager and in, in making an impact on this side. But my goodness, they were fantastic last night and their 5-0 thumping of Gremio to take a 6-1 aggregate lead, go through in the semi-final at the Maracanã as well to win like that emphatically and put their name next to River on November the 23rd in Santiago, Chile in the Libertadores final. Flamengo are phenomenal. David Gol y el tanto, tapó gol, Pablo Víctor, gol, Bruno Enrique, gol! De Flamengo, Bruno Enrique. Viene el centro, el cabezazo, sacando la pelota a media, Pablo Enrique, Gabigol, Barbosa, gol! You're absolutely right. And we've heard from Pedro and other people about how this is a once in a generation Flamengo group of players. And I think this was in many ways a once in a generation kind of performance to win a semi-final second leg of the Libertadores against the Gremio side who've won the competition three times. They were competing in their third straight Libertadores semi-final who are very handy, very tricky side to face. To just sweep them aside like that in the second half was astonishing. And I I really do think it will... If this is the beginning for Flamengo, the beginning of a more European style, the beginning of big trophies and the beginning of a new era, then then everyone will look back on this result. Flamengo 5, Gremio 0 as as the statement, as the ultimate marker. And yeah, they are the best football... They're the best side on this continent. Um... And, and River have got a big um, 
a big task on the house just to run through what happened in the game. The first half, Ollie, we were talking just, just prior to, to recording the pod. It was really close, and Gremio did have half a chance through Mycom. Mm. It was very, very tight, very edgy. You could feel a bit of nerves from the from the stands of the Maracanã being mirrored on the pitch. And then three minutes before the interval, uh, Bruno Henrique slides in Gabriel Barbosa. His strike is saved, and Bruno Henrique has a, a tap-in for his fifth goal of the Libertadores Bruno Henrique, for me, is the best player in the competition. Um, and then in the second half, uh, Gabriel scores a minute into the second half to make it 2-0. An absolutely wonderful goal, which we can touch on in just a moment. Scores a, scores a penalty to make it 3-0. Then the two centre-backs pop up to make it 4-5. and five. Let's talk about Gabriel Barbosa, Oli. I have some questions. Uh, no, uh, to be honest, <laughs> a, a fantastic performance from Gabriel Barbosa. There were... There were still times, and I still stand by what I said on the last podcast, of there is a level of immaturity there that, that needs to be shaken off and growing up needs to take place at some point. When he's on fire and when he's got service, and there was a really interesting article in the Brazilian press comparing Everton and Gabriel Barbosa before this game, because they are you know, the two talismen of their sides, two figureheads of their clubs. They were going to be the ones that would make the impact surely in this second leg semi-final. And, and, and Gabby Gold got it done. But everybody said that they would take Everton over Gabriel Barbosa because Barbosa relies on a supporting cast more. Mm-hmm. And that he takes, a, he takes advantage of the players around him and needs support. Everton, the underlying factor was that, A, he's more essential to Gremio than Gabriel Barbosa is to Flamengo, which I think is a very fair justification. You know, if you can find yep. a good striker, you've got a good striker. But Everton can also... He's the solo man of that Gremio side, and he has dragged the team kicking and screaming through. And these aren't my words. This is, sounds very Alan Partridge. These are, my, these are the words of Top Gear magazine, David Windsor. Uh, yeah. these, these are, this is what the Brazilian press was saying beforehand. Um, but what you did have is you had a centre-forward that felt the groove that night. And, and the moment played out perfectly for him, and he was able to handle the moment as well, which was great to see. I don't wish him to have a bad career in any way, shape, or sure, form. Sure, sure. You know, Stuff fell for him, chances fell for him, and he took those that he needed to. And he, he had a, a wonderful, wonderful strike early in the second half. That that was the tie, that was the goal that killed the tie, because that yeah, sucked the life out of Gremio's sails. The on the turn, first time strike into the top corner. Keeper should have done a little bit better. Marking was terrible on him as well. Shouldn't have been given that much space, but he, it fell to him, and he took it superbly. And he was he was the man. If you're looking for a, a, a person to to put this game on their shoulders. He was the man that night. Yeah, he was. And like you say, the goal, he makes it look, he doesn't make it look easy, but it may, certainly makes it look easier than it is. I mean, he's, he's backtracking, takes two steps backwards and just pirouettes and swivels and directs the ball goalwards. And, and as you say, that was the goal that, that absolutely kills the tie. Um, and and Gremio's capitulation after that was, was pretty poor, to be honest. But listen, this Flamengo side has so much quality. Bruno Henrique, you know, he, I just love watching him play so much. And he, him dovetailing with, with, uh, with Gabby Goal is fantastic. You know how, like, 100-meter runners, they, they start and they take the first 10 or 15 meters to go fully up, to stand like their posture fully upright. Mm. And Bruno Henrique's like that when he gets going. But what, suddenly when he moves through the center of the pitch and he just glides through, he's got this languid style, loads of pace. I mean... I don't know who he's pissed off in European football, but I have no idea. And I know Flamengo are a huge club and what a great chance for him to win the league and the Libertadores double. I'm not saying European football is the be-all and end-all, but I, I mean, I just don't know what he, why a European club isn't in for him. 
Five um, goals. Gabri- five goals and five, five, goals, five assists, assists in this yeah. tournament. I mean, he has been the linchpin for Flamengo. You can point at Gabby goal for the finishing, and he's had seven in this tournament now, and that's fantastic. But as you say, Bruno Enrique is is really the one that the the cog that has just kept them going and turning and turning through this competition with with quality play there is still an element to his game though that I'm a bit unhappy with uh and again this sounds kind of like like I, he should be impressing me but to get Kahneman booked early on was was very smart in terms of a tactical yeah. play Kahneman doesn't actually make contact with him Bruno Enrique rides the challenge and and knows if I can get Kahneman on a yellow that's a huge huge boost inside four minutes for Flamengo yeah, particularly yeah. Gabigol because uh, it means there will be no more antics from the Argentinian, and it was the goal that meant, uh, sorry, the yellow card that meant he wouldn't miss the final if Gremio got yeah. through. And for the penalty, there's a leg that is left. It's and a pen for me. I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm even, I'm skeptical because there was no VAR review in any way, shape, or form. When I definitely thought that was worth having another look at. And the more I see it, the more I see a leg that's been kind of left straight as he's going over with the arms coming forward he's preparing himself for contact that's being but made. isn't that just isn't that just um isn't that just a demonstration of a, of a different layer of footballing intelligence in 2019 from Bruno Henrique and I think under the way that the game is played these days it definitely is I, I'm a bit more of a curmudgeon when it comes to the if there's contact it doesn't necessarily mean it's a foul kind yeah. of thing I definitely think Bruno Enrique went looking for the penalty. He, he suckered in Jeremel perfectly into making that challenge. There's no need Jeremel to go to the ground like that. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd, just, I'd love to see him stay on his feet. I think that's one thing that stops him from being able to perhaps play in some leagues in Europe because there's a tendency to go down quite easily. But, and he doesn't need to because when he, as you say, is in full flow, he's almost unstoppable, at least at this mm. level. I, I, I spoke in... I spoke uh, yesterday uh, to a colleague about if you are River and you're watching that, what what do you see in the Flamengo side? Where is the weakness? And there really there aren't many weaknesses. The only thing I'd say about the Flamengo side is the defensive line is really really high, as is Rivers. But Felipe Luis and Rafinha, with incredible European pedigree, they're both 34 years of age. And I think if you're if you're Borre, I, th- I think Rivers' opportunity is to go wider and to, to hope that Rafa Santos Borre and perhaps Matias Suarez can run one of those two fullbacks because they aren't fast. And that's fine when Flamengo have got all of the ball. But I think Rivers' opportunity in the transitions, if they can get Borre one-on-one with Felipe Luis or Rafinha, that, that is the only aspect of weakness, apart from the mentality side of things where Flamengo will come into it having not played a Libertadores final since 1981. They will be nervous. And River, it's exactly the same group of players, pretty much, that uh, that won the final last year. So you'd imagine there'll be less nerves from River. I just don't see a sense of nerves, though, from this Flamengo side because of, and I've said it's kind of a negative, but there is an arrogance and, and a belief. You know, they they know, those players down there know they're the biggest and probably the best side in Brazilian football right now. And they must look at the competition around them in South America and think, yeah, we are better than anybody else right now. Yeah, twenty-two goals are, in this co- twenty-two goals in this tournament, seven more yeah. than River have scored over the same number of games. That's not just a small margin; that's one hell of a margin. I mean, it, it so, was... if you're River, Ollie, if you're River, what 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 do you think then? I mean, how <laughs> when you look at the Flamengo side, what, what what's your biggest chance to to win the title? Uh, having Quintero back to be able to orchestrate things in the middle of the heart, in the middle of the pitch, I think um, I think Aral. 
is yeah. susceptible to errors if he's left alone. So you mm-hmm. can you can start in that center of the park. You need to you need to be a little reserved in terms of pushing bodies forward. And I know River love to bring the fullbacks forward. Gachado does enjoy. Yeah, a bit they're of not going to be able to do that. Are they? You'll get destroyed if you leave yourselves that mm-hmm. open. I mean, again, not to hark on too much, but the, the quality of of Ribeiro, uh, Arascaeta, Bruno Enrique to their those three work so well. And time and time again, they were pulling the strings from the word go in this second leg and then feeding into Gabby goal. So River can't leave themselves exposed. So you have Quintero to, to orchestrate things and try and pull players out of position. Then you need somebody to be able to feed into a player down the middle because the defensive pairing as well of Caillou and, and Murray, I think it's not the best centre-back pairing that we see in the Libertadores. And while Felipe Luis and Rafinha are, an, are older and perhaps will have tired legs if they try to push on, it's not a side though where Flamengo, I think, need to push on with full-backs because of the quality they have further up the pitch. But you can mm. expose a slightly weaker, maybe slightly more inexperienced centre-back pairing together in the middle of the park. If, if River yeah, can that, do that, then they've got... I mean, they have the quality down the centre of the uh, of the attack sure. to be able to do it, particularly with Lucas Prato. I think, as well, what's been a feature of Gachado's reign the last five years is in big matches to, to spring a little bit of a tactical surprise. And I think, I always think, if you look at if you look 11 against 11, and as a manager, you can internally accept that they've got better individuals, then you need to be thinking about the tactics and you need to be pushing those percentages in your favour. And I just wonder whether Gashada, he's, he's gone, you know, in, in recent months, he's, he's gone with this, this absolute 4-4-2 and he's got his first 11 set in stone. But I just wonder whether he thinks, hang on, if I match up with this Flamengo side, we're going to lose. If, if he just springs a change, we've seen him go 3-5-2 before, you know, and variations thereof, so... You know, that hour before kickoff, Ollie, is going to be fascinating to see if Gachado does something uh, unexpected. And I suppose the nice thing as well for Gachado is that, you know, he, there's no pressure on him to do anything in the league. So all attention can now be focused on getting everybody healthy and fit to play this Libertadores final. He's got plenty of time to, to look through tape, to scout out Flamengo like he hasn't already done, I'm sure. So there will be an opportunity for him to find a weakness somewhere, somehow, in this uh, Flamengo side. And Flamengo, I guess... I, what is fortuitous for them is that they have a 10-point lead at the top of the Brazilian Serie A, as we mentioned uh, in the last podcast, and, and they too will solely be focusing. So I think we're going to have two managers that come completely prepared to try and take out the other. And it'd be interesting to see if we get a gung-ho battle of the two best attacking sides in the Libertadores or a tactical masterclass from one of these managers as they both try and play chess with each other throughout 90 minutes. And the fact it's on neutral ground and only over 90 yeah. minutes and extra time and penalties... It makes it all the more engrossing on November the 23rd. I love the subplot as well about Jorge Jesus, who's had such success in European football in Portugal and, uh, you know, has come to South America. So his European career in many ways is over, whereas Gachado has had success in South America and he's presumably just about to go to Europe. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be fascinating. The contrasting style of a, a South American manager is playing... South American football the best way possible and a European manager that has brought a European style to South mm. America and how those pair against each other. I mean, it was it was quite interesting that Enrique, Bruno Enrique said straight after the game when talking about Jorge Jesus was that he's come to Flamengo and he's immediately understood what it means to be a part of this side. And I'm sure things like, you know, the, the similarities between Portugal and Brazil to an extent help that. But it is a fantastic fantastic way to completely drop in 
what, was it May? He took the reins at Flamengo? Yep. May, June, July, yeah, it, August, September. Yeah, it, I mean, the, the work he's done in such a short amount of time in South American football is quite magnificent. And he's been helped by the funds that Flamengo have, but you're looking at well, the potential start of a dynasty because they want to bring in Gabi Gola on a full-time basis as well. Negotiations are already being prepared and, and underway with Inter Milan to, to have Gabi Gola, Gabriel Barbosa at Flamengo on a full-time contract. And, and if there aren't offers from, from, play, uh, he's from not European be cheap. clubs, nobody's leaving that Flamengo side right now. No, absolutely. Um, and it, also, you know, the sense of you talk, the unity that Jorge Jesus has, has got with this Flamengo side and the unity that River have got under Gachada. These are, these are two football clubs that are both really pulling in, in the same direction. And you mentioned money, Oli, and this is, you know, it's going to be a final where we'll talk about football, but River haven't spent any money in the last 12 months. And Flamengo have spent an awful, awful lot of money. So... River, I think, even though they're defending champions, I think they go into it as the underdogs, not just because Flamengo are, if you look at it, they clearly are a better side. But also, I just think you have to take into account what money's been spent. And, um, you know, the, the players that Flamengo have brought in and the money they've spent to do so, compared to this Riverside, who, who really haven't changed anything from, from 12 months ago. So, yeah, I think... Uh, well, I, I don't want to do predictions now, Ali, because we'll do a pod before the final and maybe we can uh, reflect on the, the month in between and maybe one or two things would have changed with injuries and stuff when we can do predictions then. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll leave the, uh, the final predictions for another time. and, and the, the, We can't predict anything with the final as well because, I mean, Arascaeta wasn't meant to start last night and he ended up playing uh, from the get-go, which he was the one who was almost guaranteed with his injury, knee injury, that he was going to be out. So we don't know what and who are actually going to be fit and healthy to play come November the 23rd. But if we get two full starting lineups, I mean, yeah, we'll just have another podcast in a few weeks' time just waxing lyrical about how good this final could be. And then it'll be a nil-nil draw and one on penalties by someone, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, let's hope it gets played in Santiago, Oli. I guess uh, that's another thing we can't really predict. There's clearly been a lot of trouble in Santiago recently, hopefully over the next... Uh, Thirty days, it all calms down. I've been told. I've been told there are big efforts to to make sure it happens there, without a doubt. So I I would yeah. be very surprised if if anything changes out of that. But you never know. This is South American football, man. It's always a bit of a roller coaster, as the uh, as the semifinals have shown us. I mean, the the sways of emotion from supporters in this in these ties has been quite magnificent in terms of just watching it. I'm so glad I'm not emotionally invested in any of these sides. Yeah, no, it's nice to look at it all as a neutral. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's been two semifinals that have really lived up to expectations as well, which has been great because I think in the last 16 in the quarterfinals, there were a few matches where you felt could have been something more than they were in reality. So it's been fantastic to have two semifinals that... Um, <laughs> Still feeling bitten by Liga de Quito, are you? <laughs> ay, 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 I never forgive them. Yeah, well, same Olympia let us down at points as well. There, there, have, been pl- there have been plenty. <laughs> Maybe have... we should learn our lesson, Ollie, that we, we shouldn't back the hipster choices. We should just back the best teams. Yeah, well, I'm getting a, uh, a red and black shirt, actually, in the next few weeks delivered. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm stamping my seal of approval on Flamengo for at least 12 months now. <laughs> I'm hoping Independiente del Valle win the Sudamericana, and then I'm going to back them to do Sudamericana Libertadores double. <laughs> so you're saying don't back the hipster? Okay. big thanks to dave big thanks to joel and a big thanks to everybody for tuning in once again to the wilson and winter libertadores podcast we are almost done 
with the Copa Libertadores, but we will be bringing you a Libertadores final preview and, of course, a review as well after the final on November the 23rd in Santiago, Chile. Remember, you can download the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, who are our host, Spotify, and all good other podcasting outlets as well. You can email the show, willwinpodcast at gmail.com. That's willwinpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow us all on Twitter. David Windsor's at David T. Windsor. That's at David T. Windsor. I'm O underscore J underscore Wilson. That's O underscore J underscore Wilson. Joel Richards can be found at Joel underscore Richards. Joel underscore Richards. And Peter Coates can be found at Golazo Argentino. That's at Golazo Argentino. Send us any Twitter questions. Fire them away with the hashtag LibertadoresPod. And of course, a big thank you once again to Juanitos and their intro music they provide, Funkula, which we of course edited ourselves slightly. Until the next time, take care. Enjoy the football.